Matthew's Gospel 5 and verses 10 through 16. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. What a terrible fate. What a terrible fate for the church of the living God. We need to be salt. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4 and 14. If we'll let that light shine, if we'll be the salt of the earth, then God will be glorified. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Father, we give you praise this morning for your word. I ask for your spirit. I ask, Lord, that I be cloaked with divine authority. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes, Father. You'd open our heart to receive your word, that we'd be strengthened to stand for Jesus in this evil hour. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen to God. Amen. We are the church. Is that not right? And as the church, we are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we are embody, we are to embody and to display the holy character and the person of Jesus Christ. That's our call. Amen. That should be our obsession. We should be captivated with bringing the person of Jesus to a lost world. It says in 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us. Amen. How is his knowledge dispersed in the earth? It's not going to be apart from his body. Do you hear me? It's not going to be apart from the body of Christ. God is a limitless God that has limited himself and that he will use the human vehicle of the church to preach the gospel. If there is no preacher, then the gospel is not going to be heard. That's what the Bible says. People don't like that. They have the concept that the Holy Ghost is just, you know, floating haphazardly in the atmosphere, influencing men. No, you and I must speak. You and I must go. You and I must be. And if we don't go and we don't speak and we're not what God has called us to be, then there is no manifestation of Christ in the earth. Amen. The savor of his knowledge is by us displayed in every place. 
every place where where we go, where we preach, where we speak, where we live, where we work, where we dwell, the communities that we're planted in. If Christ is to be known in Woodville, Mississippi, it's going to be through you and I. Amen. If he's not known through us, then nobody else is going to display him because we're the church. And I'm not saying we're the only church here. I'm saying who are whoever is the believers in this community. If Christ is going to be known, it's going to be through us. That's the same for every God-ordained church all across the earth. If Christ is to be known, it's going to be through that vessel as it reflects the pure and accurate testimony of Christ. That word translated savor in the Greek, it means a fragrance. It means an odor. Amen. It's a fragrance or an odor. And a fragrance or an odor are means whereby an identity can be revealed. If you walk into a house and you smell food, you know that there's a meal being prepared. You discern something by that odor or by that fragrance. Some folks home, you can go into their house and they have a particular smell in that home and you can identify that smell. You know that's Sister Brenda's house or that's Brother Britt's house. That's the smell I smell every time I go there. Amen. You know just there's certain uh, odors or certain fragrances that can provoke memories from years back. You can smell a certain thing and it'll, it'll strike or open your mind to an event that took place many years ago. So see that fragrance or that odor of Christ. We're to exude a heavenly fragrance. We're to make Christ known. Our garments are to be saturated with the person and the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And by that manifestation, Christ can be known in the earth. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 which is just the, the next verses down. We are unto God a sweet savor or a sweet fragrance or odor of Christ in them that are saved. Amen. Christ is wonderful. Christ is glorious. The gospel is the power of God to those who are saved. But the preaching of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who perish. To the one we're the savor of life unto life. But to the other we are the savor of death unto death. Why are we surprised when the world is angry or the world recoils or the world becomes offended at the message of Jesus? If we manifest Christ, what are we to expect? The world hates God. That unregenerate world hates God. You know, it's a tragedy when the world accepts the church. What a tragedy when the world, the unregenerate world, accepts and applauds the church. Nowhere in the Bible do you see such a situation. Nowhere in church history do you find that. There's been times of great revival. Amen. And men were swept into the kingdom of God. But never, never, not one time, did that unregenerate world applaud the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She has always been fought. She has always been persecuted. She has always been hated by the devil and his crowd. There's never been exception to that. But in this hour, the professing church has forgotten that biblical absolute. And it's rendered the church ineffective in this hour. When we are called, and we are called as the church, 
and we are what God has called us to be, there is no escaping that principle. There's going to be a savor unto life to some. There's going to be a savor unto death to others. We're going to draw some folks if we really manifest Christ. And thank God for that. Jesus said, when I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. We're going to draw some, but we're going to repel others. And there's no way of escaping that. If you don't have a stomach for spiritual blood, then the kingdom of God, amen, is not for you. Because some folks are not going to like what you have to say. If you preach this gospel, we're going to be respected by some folks, but we're going to be hated by most, as the Bible teaches. Amen. Some are going to see death in our message, while others will find life. I've had many people tell me, you know, they say every time you preach, all I can sense is death. Well, you know, there's a truth in that. There's a savor of death going out because the message I'm preaching is the cross of Christ. And that cross stands firm and demands of that sinner, your God must die. And then your idols must be slaughtered without mercy. And when that sinner says, you know, your message, a message of hate, well, yes, there is some truth to that because God hates your idols and God hates your false gods and that is communicated in the gospel he wants you to be saved he wants you to be delivered but this gospel demands a full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ anything less it is not the biblical gospel and that must be communicated if Christ in him crucified is preached accurately it's going to deal that truth that absolute to the heart of mankind amen this twofold response the savor of death and the savor of life that's what proves that Jesus is being communicated you know if you go out and preach and it doesn't anger anybody I tell you it's not Christ it's not Christ unless every single person gets born again and it's evident that there's a change in their life. I'm not saying that that's impossible. But if people remain unchanged, then I tell you this, they have to be brought to a place of decision. It's a mark of those that follow Christ that they bring that sword of division. That's the nature and the character of the Word of God. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I didn't come to make everybody happy. Amen. And I come to bring a sword, and I'll divide even households. The enemy of a, man, a man's enemies will be those even of his own household, even his own church, even men that proclaim to love Christ. It happens all the time. Jesus, amen, will divide the holy from the profane. You know, a failure to experience this certain reaction, this twofold response, that's a very, very bad sign. And most gospel preaching in this hour, it lacks, amen, that divine authority that would cause sinners to repel, cause sinners to recoil at the message. But if it lacks that divine authority to repel, then it also lacks divine authority to draw by the Holy Ghost. You can't have one without the other. Because the true ministry of God deals with the heart. And it pierces the soul. And it divides. and cuts asunder. It discerns. And it judges the heart. Even the motives. And even the intents. 
And no one can escape that if they want to proclaim the gospel in power. Listen to what L.E. Maxwell said in his book, Born Crucified. The world that crucified Christ will not be able to tolerate you. The worldlings which clash madly against you, the worldlings will clash madly against you. The reproach of Christ will fall upon you from all quarters. Think it not strange. It is a mark of true discipleship. You know the church has forgotten that in this hour. It shouldn't shock us. It says in 1 John chapter 3, marvel not. My brother, don't be amazed. Don't stand aback in amazement and marvel. Don't be shocked that the world hates you. It hated Christ. And listen to me, what is Christianity? Christianity is nothing more than an empty vessel that carries the life of Christ. That Christ can be manifest in the year 2002 through this vessel of flesh and blood. It's not my life that's been reformed by Christ. It's not my life that's been turned over by the help of the Holy Ghost. It's not Britt Williams that's been patched up by the gospel preaching. It's a new creature. I said it is a new creature that's been born of God and birth in true righteousness and holiness. It's the new man that's risen in the likeness of Christ. It's nothing more than Jesus. That's what holiness is. Holiness is Christ living in you and I. And Christ doesn't smoke. And Christ doesn't drink. And Christ doesn't curse. And Christ is filled with love. And Christ is holy. And if Christ is in us, he'll lead us into holiness. That's what holiness is. It's Jesus. It's not Brett Williams being holy. It's Jesus in Brett Williams being holy. Amen. And he's to receive the glory and the honor. Amen. You know, the Bible reminds us of two important absolutes. And that is this. God cannot change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. He's always the same. He's never going to change. Amen. It reminds us of this. That sinful man or fallen man will not change. Apart from being born again, there is no change to that fallen man. He cannot better himself. He cannot reform himself. He cannot, the Ethiopian cannot change his skin. Even the leper cannot change his spots. There will be no change rendered to the nature of fallen man apart from divine grace. What does that tell us? That tells us that what wicked men did with Jesus yesterday when he walked this earth, is what wicked men will do with Jesus today through a manifestation of you and I. Amen. We ought not expect anything different. They hated him then. They will hate him now. Amen. People say, well, men are more civilized today. Not so. The Bible says that men will wax worse and worse, deceived and being deceived. This generation that we live in is more barbaric than than the generation that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Speaking of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said in 53 and 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from it. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's despised. He's despised. Now granted, I qualify that. Amen. That when the Spirit of God is drawing men, And once they cross the line from being in a state of careless sin 
into prevenient grace where the drawing of the Holy Ghost is giving and granting them life. And we've all been there because we've all been born again. And if we've been born again, that we were sinners. Before we were born of the Spirit, we begin to see. We saw, we saw light. There was a window frame of mercy granted to us. So I qualify that there are those that, yes, are always being drawn. Amen. They answer the call. They yield to the testimony of nature. And then the Spirit of God comes. And the Spirit of God convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as they obey the promptings of the Holy Ghost and they agree with their conscience, then God will grant them right. But everybody else, all the unregenerate world, hates God. Amen. It's their nature. It's not just their behavior. Sin is a principle of nature, not just behavior. Amen. The reason men sin is because it's their nature to do so. Amen. And I tell you, they are accountable for their sin. Not because they could truly fulfill the law of God apart from grace. The Bible says no flesh. Amen. Will be justified by the works of the law. But because the means has been provided. Do you hear me? That sinner is condemned because Christ is the means whereby he can live holy. And he rejects that means. And therefore he's accountable for every act. And his sin will put him in hell. John 1, 10 through 11, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, his own received him not. Amen. He's ignored by the world as the creator. He is made by the world, but the world knew him not. Amen. You know, it doesn't matter if a man says he believes in God, if he will not submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. He rejects the deity of Christ by what he does. It doesn't matter what he says. It says here that he came to his own, his own received him not. Amen. He's rejected even by those who use his name. He's a stranger among his own people. I'm here to tell you this morning, if Jesus would walk into most churches in America this morning, they would call him the devil. Amen. They're so deceived and so turned in their mind. The gospel has been so perverted that they call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. They call light darkness and darkness light. Like the man out of Illusions Club who said, you're of the devil if Jesus was here he would be in here with us that's a perverted mind there I said that's a perverted mind there makes Jesus going to go do a little juking and jiving in the strip joint amen that Jesus won't save you from hell I can tell you right now amen that Jesus won't save you from hell a couple years ago they have a barbecue festival after this tent meeting and we used to preach out there, all these religious folks up here get very, very angry. And the sheriff came and got in my face, nose to nose. He told me, he said, we're all Christians here, sir. This is Centerville, Mississippi. We're all Christians. We love the Lord. Amen. And I told him, I said, that barbecue and honky-tonk and beer-sipping Jesus will not save your soul from hell. That's the devil that you're calling Jesus. Amen. That's the devil masquerading as the Lord Jesus Christ. My Jesus is the Bible Jesus. And he is holy. Amen. His name, the Bible says, the name of God is holy. He's high and lifted. It up. He dwelleth in that high place. His name, the Bible says, is holy. He's a holy one. And we ought to tremble and quake in His presence. Amen. They ignore Him as Creator and as God. But you know, sinful man's hatred of God, and I've talked about this a lot in the last several months, because I want you to know this 
is a truth. I want you to know it's a truth. Amen. Sinful man's hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ is a well-established fact in the Bible. Now, I hated God as a sinner. You hear people say, well, you don't always love the Lord. That's a lie. You didn't love the Lord. He didn't love me keeping my commandments. You didn't love God when you were lost and on your way to hell. You hated God. If you hadn't seen that, you see, that was part of the humbling of the Spirit of God. There I saw how much I hated Jesus Christ, who had displayed such great love and such great mercy toward me. And here when my eyes are opened, my whole life, I see the central theme of my entire life, though it was unconscious, was to resist God. Everything was to justify Everything was to be independent from the nature and the power and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. But you know that's one reason that men have to be born again. Because they have to be changed. Not just because they're unholy and God cannot fellowship with the unholy. But because they don't have the ability in their nature to even love God. There's an innate hatred. There's a repelling. There's a recoiling. They don't esteem Him. They despise Him. They look at the things of God and it seems like foolishness. That natural man cannot receive. The carnal mind is enmity against the law of God. It cannot be subject to God. It cannot please God. It must be changed. This is why men must be born again. And we've so reduced the doctrine of regeneration. Amen. That men just come to an altar, repeat a little sinner's prayer, and they're never changed because they've never experienced the miracle of Almighty God. It's because the professing church no longer believes the Bible, and that's the truth. They quote the Bible. They got little, you know, scripture promises on their on their on their refrigerator. Hey, you know, they're professional readers and professional declarers of the scripture, but they refuse to obey it. And if they don't obey it, they don't believe it. Instead of expecting the world to disapprove, the church is actually seeking its applause. I want you to listen to these words by a professing Christian that were expressed to me in an email that I just received yesterday. A student at LSU. I know that God called me to go and minister to students and faculty at LSU while working toward my degree. Degree. I have ministered to people and tried to witness, but when you have come, they feel extremely offended and disregard anything about Christ because they were told without love or care that they were going to hell. Of course, she didn't believe in judgment. She sure is figuring out my motive, isn't she? She sure is figuring out that I'm not loving. The Bible says, he that loveth not is not of God. I would like to ask, as a fellow... Christ follower, that your staff please not return to LSU due to people mocking Christ. Now you, you know, you really just have to let that sink in. And this is the common demeanor and posture of the church today. This is very common email that I'll get after we preach at LSU. And you know as well as I do, they talk to you out there. But you know, it's a sad thing in this hour that much of the professing church is either accepted or tolerated by a Christ-hating world. I mean, it's just the posture. It's just the way things are. And you know, people are actually taught very subtly that they should expect the world to approve of their message. 
And if you preach the gospel and people become angry, then immediately the mindset is, well, this can't be God. Because if it was God, then it wouldn't be mocked. You're telling me they're not detached from the word of God? You're telling me they don't believe the Bible? This is all over the Bible. Jesus was murdered for his message. John 7 and 7 and said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that the works that are evil. That's why they hated him. Because he told them they were wrong. That their works were evil. And that's what everything is centered around. That world will claim that you love them if you tell them they're right. Anything less than that. Amen. And they call it hatred. But it's not hatred. Amen. It's love to reprove the wicked. It's a spiritual tragedy. When the church is accepted by an unsaved world. When the world can gaze upon the church and approvingly say amen, then something is terribly, terribly wrong. And I'm not talking about just those that brazenly claim to be heathen, but I'm telling you all over America, they've got churches filled to the gills with tares, and those tares are no more born again than that sidewalk out there. And they can sit in that church, and there's no more power of God in that church to ruffle the feathers of those buzzards than anywhere else. Come on. More power of God in the barroom than in most churches in this hour. And more order on top of that. Amen. They know who's in charge. Amen. On the street there's a pecking order but in the church, amen, every man for himself. Let every man do what's right in his own eyes. Amen. When the world is indifferent and allows us to peacefully coexist, then something is wrong. If you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, if you study or analyze his ministry, he was so relevant in his generation that he forced men to either hate him or love him. There was no middle ground. That's all over the In the Gospel of John chapter 7, it says, So there was a division among the people. Why? Because of Him, it says. Because of Him. Some hated Him. Some loved Him. But everybody was forced to a decision. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't have enough power of God in your ministry or your life to bring people to that place right there, this thing right here, this division among the people, that's what the church wants to avoid at all cost in this hour. We don't want any division. We want a happy-go-lucky feeling. We don't want anybody to feel guilty. Don't preach to the poor people. That kind of mentality. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't have enough power of God to bring people to this place, then you have no ministry at all. Amen. The power of God will expose that heart. We read in Matthew chapter 5, We read of the Beatitudes, that's the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read specifically about our relationship in regards to the world, what we should be, what we should be in regards to that world, and what we will experience if we are that, and what we will produce if we endure in that. And we're going to look at that this morning. It's a tragedy when the world accepts the church. That's a terrible thing. Oh, listen to me. That's a horrible thing. Jesus said we're blessed and we're hated. Amen. You know the church doesn't believe that in this hour. They believe we're cursed. 
People don't like us. People speak about us. You know, we're not, we're not having, you know, people just come break down the doors and join and bring all their money. Hey, Amen. We don't have, we to do something. Do something to attract the people. Let's have a rap band or a rock group or a puppet show. Let's do anything. Can we ask you, sinners, how would you like for us to evangelize you? That's what they've done. They've asked the world. And they've taken those techniques and those carnal marketing ideas and concepts and applied them to the gospel. And they have rendered the church leavened. Leavened. And I know that's not the real church. But nevertheless, amen, we're part of what everything, everything that calls itself Christ, amen, we must address in this hour. Jesus said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. People don't believe that anymore. Amen. Jesus said we're blessed they think we're cursed we're cursed when people are against us or they talk about us now this morning I need to make myself clear just because a man is hated doesn't necessarily prove him to be spiritual and we need to know that amen nevertheless when a man is well spoken of in all quarters that's a bad sign there's spiritual trouble on the horizon Jesus said in Luke 6 and 26 woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets I remember as a young Christian watching Billy Graham amen at an inauguration I can't remember which president maybe Bush or George Bush senior I can't remember who it was but I watched him at an inauguration I was very young just learning the things of God and of course Billy Graham perhaps one of the most revered men in our culture, and perhaps the most dangerous preacher ever to pick up a Bible. Amen. A false teacher, a liar. Amen. And I saw him up there reading his little prepared prayer. And I looked at all those wicked senators when the camera panned and they're sucking on cigarettes and talking to one another even when they were, you know, going through their little formalistic prayer. Such a lack of the fear of God. Such, such a, a lack for the respect of the things of God. Even a Congress and a Senate that had voted and endorsed abortion in this nation. And here this man who totes and coined his own, you know, title of prophet with honor, a prophet prophet with honor. I can tell you, no prophet has an honor with the world. No prophet of God is honored by the world. He has honor because he's a false prophet. But he failed to rebuke the wicked. I thought to myself as a young Christian, would John the Baptist read a little prayer up there in an inaugurate without rebuking those in authority. No, he said, Herod, it's unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. He reproved them publicly. And my eyes were open to the fact that not everything that calls itself Christian is really right with God. You know, as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not seeking to be hated, but nor am I seeking to be accepted by the world. If they like it, then they like it. If they don't, then so what? I'm going to do the will of God. Amen. And that's what every Christian, every attitude of heart. Amen. I already expect to be rejected. I know I'm going to be misunderstood. How do you know that, Brother Brett? Because the Bible tells me. Amen. This contract, it has no small print. If you'll just read it, God warns you about everything. You didn't walk into this thing blind. He gave you the terms and the conditions. The problem is no, most people don't read it or don't believe it. 
you'll submit yourself to the word of God. If you'll believe it, you'll find. Amen. There's preparation for everything you'll face in this life. Amen. A church, though filled with the Holy Ghost, is a militant church. That's an absolute. Amen. Every single body of believers that are truly filled with, I'm not talking about they just have a little tongue. I'm saying they truly are filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's going to be an active church. That's going to be a militant church. She's going to preach. She's going to contend. She's not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ or His Word in this adulterous and sinful generation. And this hour, they're ashamed of God. You know, you, if you just were to go in most meetings, most Christians, I mean, you could tear it up just by preaching the gospel. You can scatter the thing just by preaching the plain, simple gospel. I can remember again as a young Christian, I'd go to these cell groups with all these people. Just the way that I talked, I would say, you know, the I was preaching to a wicked person the other day. That's a Bible term. I said, that's a Bible term. And everybody get nervous. They like to use the word unchurched. See, it's not offensive. I like King James version. Amen. Terms. Because it makes sin sinful. Amen. You know, the church just doesn't want to offend anybody. But the Bible says, if I seek to please men, I cannot be the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Exodus, which means a departure or an exit. And we see there in that book the story of that Old Testament church. And she was established when? When was that covenant that was promised to Abraham? It was established when she crossed that Red Sea and she was delivered out there was a separation. Amen. There's a separation. The Greek word that's used throughout the New Testament and translated church, it literally means those that are called out. You better believe we're different. We, you better believe that we're entertained by something different than they're entertained. Amen. Our conversation ought to be different than them. Our whole life ought to strike a distinction between that loss and that dark world. We're to be children of light. We're to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We're to carry the sword of the Spirit. Amen. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to reconcile that world back unto God. Not God to the world. That's what an ambassador does. I'm not supposed to change God so that he can be acceptable to the world. He's done nothing wrong. It's that world that's the criminal element that needs to be reconciled unto God. And that's the work of an ambassador. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're aliens sojourning in a foreign land. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. This is such a common truth that one hesitates to mention it. Yet it appears to have been overlooked by the majority of Christians today. Oh, what a pertinent statement for this hour. How prophetic. You say, when was that uttered? Well, I believe A.W. Tozer died in 1961. Amen. So that was before 1961. Amen. Some 40 years ago. Amen. When we would have looked at the church and thought, this is strong. This is orthodox. This is conservative. And he could see it that far off. Amen. Amazingly, the modern and professing church has totally forgotten or ignored these principles. She's now expecting to be applauded or accepted or approved by the world. And that's always a mark of carnal religion. Jesus said to the Pharisees that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. 
God. That's religion. Men that love God and men that are born again love God supremely. Jesus said the first and the greatest. The first and the greatest. There's no commandment that revivals this first and this greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened unto it. It's not on equal footing. It's not the same. Amen. You shouldn't love men more than God. He said you love your neighbor as yourself. The only way you can love your neighbor as yourself is to love God supremely. The Bible says of David that he served his generation. How did he serve his generation? By doing the will of God. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. How can I be a blessing? By obeying God. No matter what that means. No matter if men think that I'm right or don't think that I'm right. Whether they think I'm being beneficial to them or not. That's not the question. Am I seeking the praise that comes from God alone? Amen. Anytime men have this mentality that the world, they expect the world to approve of them. That's a sure remedy for spiritual disaster. Because the world, the Bible says, only approves of its own. Now I want you to apply this. To folks in situations and circumstances that you know that have this mentality. And you know them. And this is what the Bible says about them. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. If they were of God, then they would speak for God. First John chapter 4 says they are of the world. Therefore they speak of the world and to the world. And the world heareth them. And they are being discipled by the world. Because the world says don't preach to me. That turns me off. Hey, but don't, don't do that. That makes me feel guilty. Don't talk about the commandments of God. Take the commandments of God off the wall. Because that smites my conscience. If you want to you know, win me over, then you become like me. And I will join you. You know the devil's an evangelist too. I said the devil's an evangelist too. And you know all that is is worldly evangelism. And the church believes that it's won the world of God when the world has won the church to the devil. And that's all it is. There's been a transformation. Amen. Men have died out of grace. Amen. And now they're leavened, pursuing a doctrine of devils. You know, if we could just simply be content, content to do the will of God. One wise brother said many years ago, no man is fully accepted until he has first of all been utterly rejected. And that's the truth. Especially for the preacher. That's the path that must be taken. There must be death to the reputation. Death to everything. Or there can be no life. There has to be that crucifixion before there can be resurrection. Nothing of the old. Nothing of me. Amen. No self-defense. But as the lamb that goes to slaughter, an empty vessel that does the will of God and that alone. Jesus said we've got to be salt. Amen. He said we ought to be the salt of the earth. Amen. And notice how he phrased it. He didn't say, now this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to strive for. He said, you are. Now he's pointing to the real church. He's saying the church is. And if you're not salt, then you're not the church. The church is salt. Ye are the light. Or pardon me, ye are the salt of the earth. That's what you are. And if you cease to be that, you cease to be my disciple. He's pointing down an absolute or laying down a standard. 
Jesus likened a holy and a righteous character to salt. And you know, we're debtors. We are debtors to the world, but only in this one regard. As the Apostle Paul said, I'm a debtor, even both to the Greeks. I'm a debtor to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Amen. We are debtors to make Christ known. We're not to be ashamed of the power of God, which is this gospel, but we are to declare it without apology. And that is our debt that we owe. I owe that man outside this, this church house. I owe him, amen, that he can either reject or receive the gospel on the grounds of reality. You know, Brother Steve, he said, you know, our children, they need to see what we saw. That's all he's saying. They, they have the right to see Christ in the same view that we did. That they can either reject him, amen, or receive him on the grounds of reality. Now, reality is not always going to be popular. Amen. Did you hear me? I said reality may, may not always be popular to the world. But only as the church is salt will that opportunity be provided to this lost world. In other words, we must be. We must be the real church. And the real church is going to have the character of salt. Now, salt has a twofold purpose. To give flavor and to per- preserve. And it speaks of that savor. Just like we read in Second Corinthians. But it's a different Greek word and it speaks of taste. Amen. It speaks of flavor. And, it, and when he said here it's lost. It's savor. When he has lost his savor, it means two things. Figuratively, it means to lose that preserving power, amen, and to be tasteless or flat. But literally, it means to become a fool or a simpleton. Right. Who's a fool, the Bible says? It's a fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. When we live like there's no God, we become fools. When our steps are not ordered by the fear of God, then we become fools. And we lose our ability to be salt in the earth. The true church is to offer a godly example. Amen. And to resist moral decay within the community or the culture that it's planted. Amen. You know, taste is another thing that gives a distinguishing or an identity or discern. I could blindfold you. Amen. And just put a portion of food in your mouth. And if you were familiar with that dish, you would know what it was by taste alone. So you use that taste or that flavor. You use that to discern. So what is our example or what is our call? To give a godly example. To unveil Christ so that this world can taste of the Lord and see that He is good. Now, He is good. You say, well, should we just present the things that the world will say? Well, I like that about God. They like the idea of mercy. They, they like the idea of forgiveness. They like the idea of love. But they don't like the conditions. They want promises. They want what God has, but they don't want who God is. They don't want to seek his hand, but they don't seek his face. Come on. That's what they have in this hour. But I am to present 
the fullness, the full counsel. I'm not to shun that full counsel of God Almighty. I'm to give that full representation of Christ and I'm also to resist the moral decay. Why are you going to Illusions Club? Well, there's lost folks there. There's people that need to hear the gospel. There's sinners and bartenders and dancers and perverts, amen, and whoremongers and whores and they need to hear the gospel. Not a person out there more wicked than I was and I needed the gospel of Christ. But furthermore, we're planted in this community to be salt and there's repercussions for that place being allowed in this community even for the innocent and it's the church that's to stand against it. And to bring the definition of scripture. This is why we're out there we say you are committing sin. Thus saith God. This is God's opinion. You are sinning Amen. And when the church will rise up, I'll tell you there'll be a restraint in the community, even for those that are not born again. And that is our call. We're to be a watchman on the wall. We're to sound a certain sound. We're to relay the heartbeat of God to a lost and a perishing world. You say, well, Brother Brett, don't folks at LSU, you know, do you think they understand everything that we say? That's what she said in her email. In another place, she said, they don't understand. They don't understand what you say. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, amen, that God has revealed Himself, amen, by the nature of things, that those things being made, amen, they understood even the eternal power and Godhead of the Creator. It's not that they don't understand. It's what little they do know they reject. That's the issue. Their conscience, the Bible says, the law of God, when it's preached and declared their conscience, amen, Bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile, excusing or accusing. That's the only thing they can do. They can either try to justify themselves or they can say, woe is me. I know, I know, I, I know this is right. I am a thief. I, I have lied. I'm lost. They can humble themselves. See, that law is written on that heart. Amen. And we have that ally when we preach the gospel. You're not alone. Listen to me. We've got all the tools to preach the gospel. We've got the Holy Ghost. We've got the Word of God. We've got the conscience. We've got the heart with the law of God written upon it. That's why when sinners, they act a certain way. You're not bothering me. Oh, yes. I believe that the Holy Ghost is bothering you. I believe that by faith. I don't care what you act like. I don't care what your reaction is. The Word of God cannot return void. And I've seen it time and time again. I can remember my wife when we used to preach to before she was my wife she would come in and out of the ballrooms and she would mock and scorn and if you just looked by the outward appearance you think that's the last person that's going to get born again but when she did get right she testified of many sleepless nights she testified of being tormented by the words that were spoken even myself when I was a sinner I just saw a chick track that angel dropping that man in the flames of hell and I have nightmares for weeks over that picture I didn't go around to my Christian friends and say, you know, I'm tormented with conviction. I was too proud to say that. That sinner's not going to come tell you that. Only when they get saved. When you talk to folks who get born again, they'll say, God was dealing with me. God was drawing me. Oh, there were times I, could, I wanted to quit thinking about Jesus. I wanted to quit that. I tried to smoke it away and drink it away. No, no, the power of the Holy Ghost overrides all that. It was my season to get right or to be damned. Amen. And God in His mercy was drawing me. See, but there has to be a vessel. As we go, as we declare, as we preach, I'm not called to explain everything to that sinner. I'm only called to proclaim... And let the chips fall where they may.
when I first used to go to LSU, remember they had the evolutionists, the Mormons, and the Jehovah Witnesses, and the hey, Christers, and every wicked strain of false doctrine you could imagine. And everybody was bold, and everybody seemed a lot smarter than me. And I'd go home and try to study Mormonism this week because I talked to a Mormon. And I'd go back the next week and try to deal with evolution and study it. Hey, Ben, I remember one time the Spirit of God just told me, I never called you to convince anybody. I only... That is God created the earth. That's the way it is. That's what God has called us to do. Not to stoop down and debate, amen, with the empty-headed sinners of our times. But to preach the Word of God. For the Brit, the folks that illusion, it. They don't believe we love us. Amen. We're not called to convince them that we love them. We are only called to love them. Christ was the perfect manifestation of the love of God. And they didn't nail what they deemed the love of God to a cross. They killed Him because they thought He was their enemy. But they were wrong. See, the church wants to convince people. If they say, you don't love me, then they're all rattled and moved. I can't worry about that. I can't please everybody. I need to please God. And if I'm pleasing God, then I am loving men. And I need to stand in the power of His might and deflect all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All the accusations that try to move you out of the narrow way. In other words, I can't be concerned about the world's opinion of what salt is, what and who is holy and beneficial to them. I need to be discerned with God's definition of salt and light and holiness or whatever. Remember, Jesus was called a criminal. He was anything but holy in their eyes. And he was the most holy man that's ever lived. Think he was holy? They called him a bastard. Called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Amazing. The blindness of religion. Remember the golden rule. What is that? We're to do unto others as they would have, or we would have them do unto us. Is that right? But you know, from the perspective of light, then as a Christian, the only thing that I can truly want done to me is the Bible. Is that right? I, I can only want the Bible done to me as a Christian. And so if I really do unto others, as I would have them do unto me, then I must just obey the Bible. But you know, not many people want the Bible, and not many people want biblical behavior, and not many people want biblical, biblical love. They don't want that. They say, if you love me, you will do as what I would have you do. But I'm not to give men what they want. I'm to give men what they need. Amen. And they need Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, if we lack this likeness to salt, it's to, we're actually to lose our influence with men. Amen. He said, if the, lost, the salt has lost its savor with which shall it be salted? It means it's going to be flat and tasteless, as I said. Amen. Now, if we're salt, then we will be hated. That's the truth. I believe that Jesus prerequisite the blessing, the pronouncement of the blessing. Blessed are ye when men... Shall revive. Why? Because if you're salt and you're light, you're going to be persecuted. Right. If you do these things, if you're what you ought to be, then you're going to be hated. Amen. And if we're hated, we're nevertheless going to garner influence. And that is the truth. I've experienced that in my Christian life. Amen. Everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've preached. Amen. And I'm not saying this to bolster myself. This is true of any Christian. All of you rejected by your family. Hated, despised, cast out, talked about, lied about. That's, that's the experience of the true Christian. But nevertheless, I've always had influence. Because men will respect. What men don't understand, I can tell you, they fear. I remember Jimmy Swagger. 
before he fell. I remember he was hated. I hated him. I was a sinner. But there was a certain degree of fear and a certain degree of respect. That hatred was tempered with that. You see, with Jesus, they hated him. But there's a certain sense of awe and respect. They were scared of him. They didn't know what to make of him. They knew he had divine and nobody has ever spoken like this. And you see, when we walk in the truth of God, yes, we're going to be hated. But we're going to garner influence in this world. But if we fail to represent Christ, we fail to resist the evil, amen, in other words, publicly denounce sin, amen, then we have lost our savor. We're tasteless. We've lost our influence. We become flat. There's no preserving quality or power about who we are. When we're properly sought, Amen. Men, they will swear we have no influence. Do you hear me? If we're right with God and we're properly sought, then men will swear we have no influence while we actually well must. Amen. They'll persecute us. They'll hate us. They'll talk about us. But I guarantee you this. When mama gets cancer, they seek you out. I worked with Ben for eight years in a plant as an operator. Oh, they hated me. They threatened me. They attacked me. They mocked me. But when they was getting divorced, they'd come over there to my control room. Making sure nobody see them. They're going to come talk to the preacher. Come talk to the preacher. And bear their soul. Oh, they mocked me last week. But influence. Why? Because there's a certain degree of respect. When they know that you stand for something and you believe in the things of God. Amen. When trouble strikes, they're going to come. Amen. When men truly repent, amen, and they come to such churches, they will be changed. But when we, lo- when we lose our savor, men will swear we have powerful impact when we have absolutely none. Case in point, the church is approved by the world, but the world's not changed by the church. They said they have revival all over the world. They've been revival all over America. And America's never been so wicked. No influence. What do they have? They've traded the power of God for the approval of men. That's what they. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Our alarm at the world's rejection and revolt of our message and method reveals our biblical ignorance. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ to what it was said of Him in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And many of it, not few, not some, not the minority, many of them said, He has a devil. He's mad. Why hear ye Him? That's in the Bible. I'm going to write that girl and put that scripture in there. She's, she's agreeing with the world. She's agreeing with the world. But I mean, you think about the collective ministry of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. All their earthly ministry only garnered 120 people. Originally. That really believed the message and followed Christ to the upper room. Yes, we're a byproduct of John the Baptist's ministry. And Jesus' ministry, obviously. But it wasn't seen immediately. Amen. It has to be some time. Some water has to go under the bridge. It takes a generation to judge fruit. Amen. You just don't say because somebody came in here and said, you know, I'm born again. I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus blessed me and, you know, give me a little tongue. And then that person's right. Where are they ten years from now? Amen. Where are they? How are they living next week? What's happening with their life? Amen. That fruit has to be judged. Amen. Through the fire. Yes, sir. Not just because somebody says they're right. Amen. 
And they said, instead of looking to God's book, the churches instead sought the counsel of the world on how to be influential and win friends. And they have gone to the world, and that is an awful tragedy, that they have sought the world's smile, and when they sought the world's smile, they lost their ear. Come on. You can't have both. Right. Amen. You have to be feared and respected, or you have to be approved of. L.A. Maxwell said, never had the church so much influence over the world as when she had nothing to do with the world. It's good for nothing, Jesus said, to be cast out. And I guarantee you the lukewarm shall be spewed out of the mouth of Christ and be trodden under foot of men. Amen. When that church and its message is put under the feet of the world, then it's used as a means of worldly travel. Do you hear me? It becomes a vehicle to a worldly end. What you put under your feet, you walk over. And all they've done with the church is use as a step or step stone to false prosperity and wealth and power and one of the other selfish gratifications that our heart delights in. And that's all it is. Men today, they just add Jesus to their worldly agenda. In Deuteronomy 28 it says, when we disobey the commandments of God, the stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high and thou shall come down very low. No influence with the world. Amen. I'm going to try to hurry here. A few more points. Hallelujah. Jesus said the true church would be light. Amen. And we know the nature of light is what? Both to expose and to reveal. I want you to know that. Amen. If we carry the light of God, we can't have that light without revelation and without exposure. And when we do so, that's what's going to take place. To be the light of the world, that's not merely some cute, suggestive, sentimental thought. No, no. Amen. It speaks of spiritual nature and power. We're to live and to proclaim the Word of God so as to exalt Christ and to abase man. We're to preach this Christ. We're to denounce sin. Amen. We're to see the nature of man exposed and the nature of God revealed by the light of the Word of God. And you can't escape that. It's impossible. But darkness will always flee or seek to extinguish the light. What does it say? This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men pervert darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Hebrews 4, which tells us of the nature of God, said it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's light. It's not just something that scratches the surface. But it goes deep within the heart of man. When that unregenerate man can carelessly dismiss the claims of the gospel, then I tell you it's a moral midnight among God's people. There's no light. Light makes folks uncomfortable. Hey, man, you go in there in the middle of the night if you've got roaches. You turn the light on, the roaches are going to scamper. Those rats and mice, they go into a place of cover. Hey, man, the devil, hey, man, he flourishes in the dark. I can tell you the only God's people cometh to the light. 
and desire to be exposed. Desire, amen, to be brought. Amen, we've only got two choices. When we name the name of Christ, we either conform to His image or we conform Him to our image. That's the only choice we have. Amen, we're either going to look to Him and we're not going to allow our experience to define our theology. Amen, but we'll let the Bible judge us. We approach that book not to judge it, but to allow it to judge us. Amen, and then we'll have light. But men in this hour, because their experience don't line up with the Word of God, they change the nature of Christ. They worship the creature more than the Creator. Jesus said, when we're blessed, we're going to be hated. Amen. When we're blessed, we're going to be hated. When we're blessed, we're going to be hated. We need to get that in our spirit. If I'm hated, I'm blessed. If I'm hated, I'm blessed. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What happens most of the time? When I was a young Christian and went out and preached, hey, but on the street they'd line up, look like they, you know, Baskin Robbins. You go in there, you take a little ticket, has, you know, 395. And they're over there behind the counter, 392. Somebody goes up and gets a banana split. You know, you got three more people to wait in before you get a chance to get your ice cream cone. Well, they should have just, I was on that bench in those shoes, they should have just put up one of those little ticker tape things for people to take a ticket so they could line up to rebuke me. And there's people that spoke in tongues and people that went to, you know, so-called full gospel churches, one after another. And as a young Christian, all that criticism, I'd go home just a demonic oppression, wondering what in the world is wrong with me? Because I wasn't rooted and grounded. But that drove me to the Bible. Amen. As I'd pray and read the Bible. The Spirit of God. And there were times I needed correction. Don't get me wrong. There were times I needed to be reproved. There were times that even sinners reproved me and they were right. Amen. There were times I needed to be straightened out. But for the most part, amen, all that religion, it just hates the preaching of the cross. And it opposes it. But we need to be grounded in God and believe that we're blessed when we're hated. You know, the, the, the Beatitudes, and that's what we read, the latter part of the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of Matthew 5 is referred to as the Beatitudes. And that literally means a pronouncement of blessing. But those last verses that we read, verses 13 through 16, that's called the similitudes. And that, that literally means, amen, to a declaration of likeness. That's why Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. He's making a metaphoric, uh, an illustration, a parallel, an analogy. It's a declaration of likeness or sympathy or union. In other words, when we're blessed, amen, when we're under the pronouncement of the blessing, amen, the only thing that's blessed is Christ. And everybody that's in Christ is blessed. And everybody that's blessed is living by those be out of the year. People say that's impossible. I beg your pardon. The Bible says all things are possible to him that believeth. That's the express will of God. And by grace, we can do that. Amen. We can live in that. We can, we can manifest that. Amen. But when we're blessed, when we're under the pronouncement of those blessings, when we're hated, amen, when we're despised, then we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be in union with Christ. We're going to sympathize with Christ. We're going to hate what He hates, love what He loves, and we're going to experience what He experienced. We're going to go through what He went through. Amen. We're going to walk as Christ walked. Anybody who abide in Him ought to walk even as He walked on this earth. Matthew 10 and 22. And ye shall be hated of all men. Well, not my mom and daddy. They're good folk. Jesus said there's none good. No, not one. 
Well, not my brother and sister. Not, not my neighbor. My neighbor's a pretty good sinner. Ye shall be hated of all men. Well, it doesn't seem like they hate me. Well, I'm not saying it's conscious. I'm just saying that nature is there. And if Pilate and Herod can get together to crucify Jesus, who are mortal and political enemies, then I guarantee you, that neighbor of yours and your mom and daddy can get together to crucify you. Amen. If you cross them. And there will come a time in every man's life, you've heard me say, you get born again, all your relationships are redefined. And if you won't allow him to be redefined, then God, he'll funnel you in a place where you get to see what mom and daddy really is without Christ. Doesn't mean you don't pray for them. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't honor them and respect them in the natural. But it does mean that you realize that they are in the enemy's camp. And they are under, the Bible says, they are taken captive at the devil's will. That's what the Bible says. And only by the grace of God can they be set free. And the last point here this morning, when we're hated... By God. Or pardon me, when we're hated by the world, then we're glorifying God. Now I want you to hear this in the context. That's why I read 1 Peter 4 and 14. Because it said, why don't you let your light shine? Be the salt of the earth, Jesus said. Do the will of God. Don't restrain. Don't hold back. Speak the truth in love. Don't be ashamed of me. Everywhere you go, preach the gospel to every creature. Speak the word of God with boldness. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Be an ambassador, be a witness unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what Jesus said when he was talk- spoke about his crucifixion? He said, Father, glorify thy name. What an awful thing. The crucifixion, the betrayal of the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ by Judas. The hierarchy, the religious hierarchy. A nation whose Messiah was set before him, before them. And they said, crucify him. We'll not have this man to reign over us. An awful thing. How could God be so glorified? Peter said, if you're so reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why? Why are we happy? Why will we be happy when we have to suffer persecution? For the Spirit, it is a mark. It is a validation. It is a verification that the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their party is evil spoken of. A little professing Christian. Jesus is evil spoken of. But on your part, He is glorified. You know, persecution like nothing, like nothing else, it exposes, it exemplifies the chasm between the divine nature and fallen man. Because the cross, when you look at the cross, You've heard me say this many times. The cross communicates many things to mankind. But one thing it communicates. It communicates the reaction of a world too wicked to tolerate the Holy Son of God. It's mankind's answer to perfect love. Away with such a one as this. We'll not have this. And see, when men react in such a way, See, the Bible teaches 
that the cross so glorified God through what? Through rejected and a beaten and a scorned and a mocked and a savage and a crucified Christ. That land that was offered, that blood that was spilled that ran down, the savagery of a world that ridiculed and mocked the only true love that's ever been manifested. How in the world would that glorify God? But you know, the Bible speaks of Noah. The Bible says that by faith, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his household. And by it, he condemned the world. And God, in the same fashion, amen, when he sent Jesus Christ to save the world, there was a preparation, amen, there was a display of the divine salvation of God. And by it, he condemned twice, condemned a world that was already condemned because love was manifested and love was rejected. And in that, the nature of man is revealed. That's why so many times you find that people that persecute, like the Apostle Paul, while he's watching Stephen, he held their coats and their cloaks while they stoned him. The Bible says his countenance shone. He been a heavenly countenance shone bright as an angel. And he looked up steadfastly in heaven and he said, Forgive them, Father. They know not what don't count it to their charge. Amen. And in that Christ was manifested. What was he seeing? He's seeing a heavenly countenance. He's seeing a revelation, a reflection of Christ. And I believe when Saul saw that, his heart was smitten. And when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked him, it's hard to kick against the pricks. You've been fighting this thing. You've been wrestling with this thing. God's been a dealing with you. Amen. He's a, he's a Pharisee among Pharisees. Amen. As concerning the law, he was perfect. He was a good religious man by the standards of his day. But when he saw the manifestation of Christ in a human vessel, when he persecuted him, he saw he was lost. But all his religion was vanity. Persecution like nothing else. It provides an opportunity for a sinner to know what he really is. How many times have I seen people curse and get angry and then email or, or see you the next week and say, Look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done I don't know what I don't know what happened to me. Why did it was God's dealing? It was God's probing in the heart that humbled such a man. We read in Matthew chapter twenty seven when the centurion saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Amen. The end of persecution. Ultimate persecution. He said, surely, this is the Son of God. He's a partaker. He's a part of that. But he received revelation. Because that chasm was unveiled. You're altogether different than he is. And you must be born again. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Just love him. Oh, we love you this morning, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to represent you in this wicked and undone world, Father. And, Lord, we need your grace. We need your power. We ask you today to fill us afresh with the Holy Ghost and with fire, Father God, that we would love you supremely. We would love our neighbors as ourselves, Father God, that we would not be intimidated, Lord God. But, Lord, that you would fill us with boldness to speak boldly for your name's sake, Lord God. Lord, we just ask, Lord, we know you have not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of love, power, and a sound mind. We ask this morning you would grant us a right spirit. You would grant us a right heart to do your perfect will. In Jesus' holy name, amen to God. Why don't we just take a few moments. You can gather around this altar. You can leave at your chair. Let's just take a few moments and meditate on this word. Amen.